The Bible reading can be found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you the gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's church in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone. In the effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Thanks, Megan. Uh, thanks for reading the Bible carefully and slowly. I was just thinking before, I've been preaching uh, for 26 or 27 years and I still feel nervous every time I get up. Um, so please uh, join with me as I pray. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the holy God so different from us, so complete, perfect, and yet you speak. And through your word, you continue to speak to us. We thank you that your word is life. And so we pray that you will help us to hear your word today. Help us to hear your word, not as a human speaking, 
but as the living God speaking. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Amen. Wow, two new pastors, Matt and Lachlan. We anticipate their ministry being a wonderful ministry, working with young people and young adults, nurturing them, discipling them, coming alongside, building relationships with them, living lives that give them someone to follow. And yet, the reality is that with growing and significant relationships, there will also be challenges. There will be different expectations. There will be opposition. At the start of any pastoral ministry, uh, sometimes there's this period called the honeymoon period, where it seems you can't do anything wrong. Everyone is on board. Whatever you do, it's great. But there will come a time when the honeymoon period ends and people will begin to express their views. What you do will not be great. There will be different expectations. And when these challenges come, the question will be, who will they please? It's a question for us too. Who will we please as we live our lives? Pleasing people is about motivation. We can please people because we want something from them. Uh, about um, eight years ago, I started doing karate. Uh, I'd never done it before in my life. It was something to do for physical fitness and for some flexibility. And after some of the sessions with one of the instructors, I would say, I'm really pleased you work as hard. I enjoy it. I said that, but I really said that because I wanted him to say, I'm so impressed you're so old and you do that so well. <laughs> he never said it. I wanted to please him because I wanted to get something from him. But we can also please people because people have given things to us. My mother never drove. She never held a driver's licence. But my father would willingly forego his work and drive her to appointments or places she needed to be because she was his wife and all that she did for him. And he did that willingly. People pleasing can stem from a desire to get or a desire to give. The Apostle Paul had been accused of pleasing people in order to get from them in Thessalonica. In this chapter, in chapter 2, Paul defends himself against those accusations, saying he wanted to please God. He was not trying to please people. He wanted to please God because of all that he had received. We're going through our Authentic Church series, and today we look at a ministry that pleases. A ministry, or, or I've, I've included a life, a ministry or a life that pleases is purposeful, 
and gospel-focused. Paul and his team of Silas and Timothy had come to Thessalonica after being beaten and imprisoned for preaching the Lord Jesus in Philippi. As they came to Thessalonica, there was opposition again, which meant that they departed quickly from the city. Since that time, Paul had not returned to Thessalonica, and this led some in the city to say that Paul was only interested in himself. He came to get. He wasn't interested in the Thessalonians. In this chapter, we glean something of some of those what those, some of those accusations would have been. He was accused of deception. He was accused of wrong teaching, of people-pleasing, of flattery, of greed. And yet far from being self-interested, he knew in coming to Thessalonica he was going to face hostility. He wrote in the first two verses... You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We have previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Those words, not without results, he's not talking about numbers, but rather it's not without purpose. Paul had come with a clear intention to preach, despite knowing what the reaction would be, despite the consequences. A ministry or life that pleases God is purposeful. It is purposefully focused on the gospel. As I was preparing this sermon... I came across a, a letter written by a guy called Carl Lundberg. Uh, he wrote it in 1900. He was a Christian Missionary Alliance worker, working as a missionary in China. He'd been born in Sweden. He was Swedish. And at the age of 24, he became a Christian. Someone shared the gospel with him, and it was a beautiful thing he found to know the Lord Jesus. He was hungry to know the Bible. And so he did some of these short Bible courses. And during these courses, he heard of Americans who were funding people to go as missionaries to China. So he volunteered to go. For two years, it was really hard going there. And then the Boxer Revolution began to heat up. China reacted against foreign influence and especially against Christians. In his last letter that he wrote back home to Sweden, he spoke of Chinese Christians being killed. He spoke of missionaries being stoned to death. He spoke of missionary children being dismembered and torn apart. He wrote these words. If we should not come out with our lives, then please send our last message to all mission friends. We live and die for the Lord and China. The way to the coast is not open. 
We have not heard anything from Peking for nearly two months. But the way to the Lord is open. Thanks be to him. Let not your hands fail and do not lose your courage. What we sow shall bear fruit in its time. When the storm is over, send out other witnesses to China to proclaim the great act of the Lord. I do not regret that I came to China. I know the Lord called me here and his grace is enough for me. The way he leads is best. His will be done. We shall meet at his right hand. It's an amazing letter. Karl Lundberg had one purpose, and that was for people to hear of Christ. Ministry or a life that is pleasing is purposely gospel-focused. It affects every area of our life. I want you to imagine that you have a garment and you're putting it into a tub of water that has dye in it, and you leave it there. The dye will affect every fibre. A ministry that is pleasing affects every fibre. My time, my money, my future, my relationships, my desires, my location, my responses. A ministry or life that pleases God is purposeful. The second thing is that a ministry or life that pleases God is characterised by integrity. Paul, as he, in a sense, defended himself in this chapter, spoke about what they themselves, the Thessalonian believers themselves, had seen and known of Paul when he was with them. They themselves knew what his character was like. Who Paul was then is who he still was now. And so through these verses, we find these references. You know, as you know, you know, surely remember, you are witnesses, for you know. Paul keeps referring back to what they themselves had seen and known. Integrity comes from the Latin word integer, which means, uh, amongst other things, it can mean a whole number. It's not a fraction. It's a whole number. Integrity is about people not being 80% honest or 95% authentic. 95% authentic and 5% deceitful. That's not integrity. Paul said in verses 3 to 4, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Paul was not greedy. Wherever he was, Paul wanted to be genuine. In whatever situation, he wanted to please God. To be authentic is to be the same in every situation. And yet there is always a temptation to be different. There is always a temptation in terms of the circumstances we're in to change, especially when other people 
or those we know aren't around. A couple of years ago, I shared that I found a $100 note when I was walking to church one Sunday morning, just up here on the footpath. I handed it to the police, and about six weeks later, I got a check in the mail. No one had claimed it. Well, last August, I had been out for a morning walk, early in the morning, as I was walking up King George's Road near a bus stop, there was a plastic bag, $315 in the bag, with a credit card. So I rang up the bank, whose card it was, and I said, look, I know you probably can't give any details, but if you want to contact this person, here's my number, and I'll make sure they get the money. Oh, we can't do that. You have to tell the police. So I go to the police station, I say, I found this, and they count at $315. And guess what I think every day? I hope they don't claim it. I hope I get a cheque in the mail for $315. (laughs) Greed lurked within me. I didn't need it. But I wanted it. What is more, every time I walked, I began looking. (laughs) Maybe I'll find more money. In a one context, I'll say, I'm contenting God. I have everything I need. But my actions and my desires show there is inconsistency. As I walk now, I try to remind myself, I don't need to find money. The temptation is always there. But as I walk to say, I can be thankful for all that I have, In terms of being thankful, often I will text people as I walk, sharing a Bible verse I read that morning or letting them know that I'm thinking because of what they're going through. This is a means to help me, to keep me, try to help me to be integral, have a person of integrity, even when the temptation is not to be. Well, ministry or life, a ministry or life that pleases God will be the same in whatever context we are in. The third, a ministry or life that pleases God will involve both words and actions. Uh, It's a little bit similar. Ange talked about this last week. As an apostle, Paul had the right to have his needs met. And yet in Thessalonica, Paul worked. He worked to meet his own needs. In verses 7 to 9, we read, Instead, we were like young children among you, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Instead of being motivated to get, Paul and his team sacrificially cared so they could give. There is some uncertainty whether the word young children is actually young children or gentle. There's one letter difference. But if it's young children, then the apostles came without demands or expectations. If it's gentle, then they came with compassion. Either has a similar meaning that speaks of Paul being like 
a nursing mother caring for those whom he loves. Paul brought the gospel of life and forgiveness in Christ. But amazingly, he also said, we loved you so much we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God but our lives as well. That's an amazing statement. We loved you so much that we were delighted not only to share the gospel with you. It's vitally important that our words are used in communicating the gospel. But if the gospel truly transforms, if the gospel is what we say it is, then the message of Christ can never only be about our words. When I was at Toronto, uh, there was a young man from Indochina. I call him M. He came to Morling College and at Toronto there was a, a lady there who was uh, a representative for a global interaction in the Hunter region as part of our church and he came and stayed with her for a couple of years. He'd actually become a follower of Jesus. In his homeland, there had been a, an organisation set up called the Company of Grace that served people with disabilities. He had come to volunteer, not as a Christian, but to help out. But he was so impressed that these people shared their lives along with their words that he became a follower of Jesus. M saw the love of God in action. After four years of training at Morling College, he's now returned to his homeland. He's since married. And his desire is to go into a rural mountainous area where people have very, very little. They have gone up there a few times, they take educational and hygiene things. Their desire is to teach literacy so people will be able to read the Bible for themselves. It could have been comfortable for these two people to make a life in Australia. But they loved people so much that they desired to share the gospel of God and their lives as well. Paul shared the gospel, but if the gospel had taken root, then he could not, share, he could not but share his life. But words are important. And so just to say, Paul goes on and talks about as a father, He comforts, encourages, and urges them to live lives worthy of God. Words that build up and point people to who God is are so powerful. We live in a world where people are actually willing to say what they think and tear people down. When people spur one another on, it is a wonderful thing. A life or ministry that pleases God will involve actions and words. 
And the last thing I want to say is a ministry or life that pleases God takes God's word seriously. These beautiful verses, Paul says, the Thessalonian believers heard Paul's words, but they took them and received them as God's word. In verse 13 we read, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. If someone comes up to me and says, God spoke to me, uh, there's a degree of caution and suspicion within me. My response is, how do you know? And yet there's a sense when we come to church or when we're in home groups or when we read the Bible carefully by ourselves, we can say, God spoke to me. God has spoken in his word and as we read his word, God speaks. God speaks not necessarily in telling me what to do, but his word reveals his character and his will and how I am to live in response. The trouble is that we come to God's word, we are so familiar with it that it has little bearing on our lives. It just washes over us and we go off with our day and we don't even remember what we read, if we did read anything. It reminds me about being on a plane. Remember when we used to be on planes? And as, as the plane was taxiing, preparing to take off, the flight crew would give safety instructions. And I was always amazed that most people seemed to have no concern about it. They would be doing anything else but looking at what the steward is saying. They'll be doing anything else rather than looking at the cardboard sheet about what to do in an emergency. Most people paid little attention. One or two were keen to hear. One or two were listening. One or two wanted to know what to do. Those few people heard the steward speak. But as they looked at the sheet, they accepted them as the words of the manufacturer. This is how to do or how to respond when needed. A ministry of life takes God's word intently. Like those one or two on the plane, God's word is to be listened to keenly and embraced and not simply tolerated. And I have to ask myself, when I sit down and Ange or Matt or Lachlan or Leambor preaches, whose words am I listening to? Do I go away saying, well, that was a great sermon? But I don't remember anything about it. Well, David didn't have much humour today. He was pretty boring. 
flag too long. We evaluate the sermon. We hear it as human words. And Paul says, a ministry of life that pleases God is we hear God's word as God's word. Whose words are you hearing today? If I had time, uh, five points I thought was probably too much. Uh, I just want to say verses 14 to 16 speak of a ministry that pleases God that includes God's judgment. It's a very unusual set of verses because Paul berates the Jews but it seems as though he's not attacking them, but he's attacking them because they prevent him preaching the gospel. But that would have been point five. An authentic church is made up of authentic people who genuinely want to know, follow and grapple with what it means to please God. Paul wrote this chapter as a defence against accusations he was only interested in himself. We do well to measure ourselves. What is our motivation? Do we want to please God or do we want to please people? Do we want to give or do we want to get? An authentic church with the ministry that pleases, is purposeful, will have integrity, will hold the gospel both in words and in actions, and will take God's word seriously, accepting his words as indeed the very word of God. An authentic church an authentic Christian. I'm going to pray as we conclude. Ask God to help us to grow in being the people he has made us to be. Would you please join me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your very character that you give You are not a God who seeks to get. We thank you for your great generosity to our world as creator and sustainer and as redeemer in the Lord Jesus. Please help us to be people that seek to please by reflecting you. We thank you for the Apostle Paul, our Apostle, who was not self-focused, but wanted to give because he himself had received so much so that we may receive in order that we may give. We thank you for your scriptures and we pray that your word would do its work in our lives and that we would take your word as your very word. Amen.